going to be preaching primarily from the Old Testament lesson today. A text where David decides he wants to build God a temple. And there are two responses that we see that God gives to David in this regard. Um, Even as David's desire is well-intentioned, God tells him he's not going to give him this desire of his heart. Instead, this is something that's going to happen when Solomon builds the temple, David's son. So it's not going to be for David to actually build the temple. And there are two reasons given for this. The first reason actually is not given in today's text, but in another text that actually teaches the same story, we read this. It's in 1 Chronicles 22. David said to Solomon, My son, I had planned to build a house to the name of the Lord my God, but the word of the Lord came to me saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood in my sight on the earth. So that's the first reason. David's a man of war. And for whatever reason, God has decided that he does not want David to build his temple because David has blood on his hands. But there's another reason, and this is going to be the principal reason we talk about today. God, at no point in the history of Israel, has ever required a house in order to do the work that he has for Israel to do, and to do in the nation of Israel. His words specifically in 2 Samuel 7 today are, I have not lived in a house since the day I brought the people up out of Israel from Egypt to this day but I've been moving about in a tent and a tabernacle. So what do we do with those two considerations? The first being David being a man of war, many of his conquests being won by war, being a man of bloodshed. And what do we do with the fact that eventually the temple is going to be built? But even God God is saying here, the temple's not for now, but the temple is going to be built. Well, I think we have to keep something in mind here. The temple will be built, and as a result of that, I think we want to remember that there's nothing wrong in God's eyes with beautiful architecture. There's nothing wrong with a building. There's nothing wrong with having a desire to make something beautiful because the way that we construct our architecture, the ways that we appoint a place of worship, I think that speaks something to the way we actually view our faith and the way we view God. Do we create things with a sense of permanence, with a sense of beauty, grandeur? I think that can be a good thing. And we're going to see that God actually believes that's a good thing. If we look at Leviticus, he's very explicit in the details that he lays out for what he wants places of worship to look like. So as the tabernacle travels, even still, God values the architecture, the way that it's laid out. And when Solomon does build his temple, we're going to see that he does it with beauty, with exquisiteness, and with grandeur. This is something that I think sometimes we tend to minimize the importance of. And maybe sometimes we actually blanch against it. And we think that things should be plain. I think sometimes, particularly as Protestants, we tend to take the view that blandness is holiness. That perhaps God doesn't want us to appoint things beautifully because we're afraid that it's going to make a statement about what we do with our money or how we value money. As if 
having something beautiful takes away from some other productive way that we could be using our money. But I don't think God is quite that utilitarian, where he views everything we should do as having that utilitarian, specific purpose function. I think he values beauty. And certainly we see that heaven is going to be a beautiful place as well. Streets of gold. So I don't think we should be ashamed of beauty. And I don't think that this is a testament of being ashamed of beauty or being ashamed even of the house. But God does want us to remember something. Something that is very easy to forget as a result of having a house, a permanent house of worship. And that remembrance is really just sort of formed in a cliché. We say it all the time. We know it's true, but I wonder sometimes if we actually live as a church as if it's true. God can't be contained by the four walls of a church or a temple or any other house of worship. No matter what your house of worship looks like, no matter how beautiful, no matter how plain, it doesn't matter if you have white walls and a box for a church or it doesn't matter if you have stained glass or or whatever it may be. It's very easy to start thinking that God exists principally in the place, in the structure. We hear it in our terminology, don't we? What do we do on Sunday morning? We go to church. We go to church because we think of the building as church. And in a very real way it is. Because the things that we do on Sunday morning unite us as a church, as a people of the church. We worship God, we praise Him, we thank Him for the wonderful things that He's done. We read the Scriptures and we remember who we are as Christians as a result of that. We hear the Word preached, hopefully well. (laughs) Not always, but hopefully. And we return the thanks that He's given to us, traditionally through the Eucharist. And we continue to receive grace through the Lord's Supper. And so, yes, what happens here on Sunday morning, we do come to church. But we come more than just coming to the church. We come to actually be the church together. As a group of worshiping people who love the Lord. And as we've said before, it doesn't matter if it happens in here or if it happens outside, or if it happens wherever. For the early Christians, it was usually in a cave for fear of being killed. Wherever people come together, there is the church. But even still, I don't think that quite gets to the heart of what God is getting at when he talks to David this morning. I think what he's getting at is that he can't be contained even within the walls. Even within our own fellowship... God is much wider than just the fellowship. And so there are three characteristics that I kind of want to talk about this morning, about what I think it looks like when a church has turned too far inward and stops seeing God as being on the move. And as a result of that, stops being on the move itself. Because what God actually has for us is to never settle in a place and think of this as us. He doesn't want us to find our identity, I don't believe, in a structure, beautiful as those structures may be. I think he instead wants us to find our identity, number one, in Jesus, for what Jesus did for us, how Jesus died for us, 
made atonement for our sin and calls us back into relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But number two, I think he wants to remind us also in today's text that he's always out doing something. He's always out looking for more ways, never confined ways, to take the gospel to people and to share the life of Christ with people through acts of service. The first characteristic that I find among churches that are turned too far inward is that they start to focus on attracting people to the building on Sunday morning. Now, don't get me wrong. I love seeing full pews. I love seeing a church where you have the rafters about to come off because people are singing so loud. And I, I, I love that. I think we all enjoy having a full church. But if I have one criticism of the North American church over the last 30 years, it's been this. We have created an attractional model of church as if our highest principle, our highest calling, is to see how many rear ends we can get in the pew on a Sunday morning. That's not a church. That's business. And we're not a business. Now, I love to have people in the church on Sunday morning. And I do think that the better a church is doing what it's supposed to be doing, the more attractive that is to people. And so as a church is seeing itself in its identity, not just inside the walls, but outside in the world and serving the world, that is attractive to people. And I think people do tend to come to churches that do that because they recognize the gospel is happening in a real way. But the difference in that and that kind of a church, and the kind of a church that is concerned about attracting people, is that one is salesmanship, whereas the other one's living, breathing, and doing the gospel. You see the difference? You can create all sorts of programs. You can create all sorts of neat gee whiz sorts of things in order to attract people into the church. But what do you have? Well, maybe nothing. Maybe you don't have lives that are changed. Maybe you don't have people who are actually on fire for the idea of doing service in the community because people need it. Maybe because they're not getting the love of, the Christ, love of Christ in their hearts, but they're rather getting, this is fun. Nothing wrong with fun either. But it's real easy for a church to lose its way, I think, and start to think that the highest calling is how many people do we get on a Sunday morning. Again, I'm not saying that we don't want people to come on Sunday morning. But I am saying the gospel is bigger than how many people we attract. And so if we get five on a Sunday morning, or if we get 500 on a Sunday morning, our first call should be how many people are being connected to Christ today? How many people's lives are being changed in the church? And then how many people are going outside the church and changing the lives of other people? That's our highest calling. That's what God does. God is always about the community, both within our community and outside the community. So that's the first thing. The church becomes primarily seeking ways to attract people rather than actually feeding them the gospel and teaching them to feed other people the gospel. Second thing is this. 
the church that I think begins to look too far internally generally is not doing anything in the community around it. This can be a difficult thing, so let me define my terms. I think it's very easy as a church to give money to causes. I think it's very easy to take our resources and to offer people something, but I think it's awfully difficult to actually look people face-to-face and do service for them. That's the tough kind of service that I believe God actually calls his church to do. And the reason I think it's hard is that it means instead of just an investment of money, it means we're going to invest our time, we're going to invest our talent, we're going to invest everything that we are as Christians into people outside of the church and inside the church. There are people inside the church who need what we have as well. But what does this look like, really? Well, I can tell you what it looked like to John Wesley. You know, most of you know that uh, Methodism comes from Wesleyanism, John Wesley. For John Wesley, this looked like starting up different places for people to live who had low income or no income, and then supporting those homes, and making sure that people had food to eat, making sure that people had a place to live if they couldn't afford it. And you know, his theology, as amazing as it was, was always grounded in the reality that theology that is not lived in real, practical ways, is a worthless theology. Theology that doesn't change our behavior and make us focused outward for the good of other people is a worthless theology. It doesn't matter how much we think we know about God. It doesn't matter how much we think we know about exactly what Jesus did or how he did it. If at the base of all of that, there doesn't come a love for neighbor and a desire to serve other people face-to-face and not just with our money... That's really not Christian love. That's not the way Jesus worked. Do we see Jesus reaching deep into his pockets for every cause and giving people money, or do we see him going and feeding the poor? Do we see him going and healing the sick? Doing the things that he can do with what he has in order to bless them. A church that does that, and as a matter of fact, let me just say this, I think that is the church of the future. I think that the church is beginning to move toward a more apostolic view of what it actually means to serve a community rather than to just construct these monuments of worship where people can look at it and say, that's the church. I think the church is moving toward a model where people start to see ourselves as missionaries in our own towns, our own communities. The North American church is dead. (laughs) I don't know if you've noticed, but we're moving more and more toward the model of Europe. You know, where you've got all these wonderful houses of worship, these beautiful places that have been sitting there for 800 years, some of them 1,000 years, and nobody's there. Why? Because Europe lost its way. Europe forgot what the church is. Not all of Europe, but large portions of it. Large enough to where churches are empty now. Why are they empty? Well, they're empty because nobody's doing the gospel. You have a lot of people who know all sorts of things about God, but nobody's living it in the community around them. 
And so let's say I'm somebody who's never been exposed to the gospel before. And I see this wonderful church and people are coming in it on Sunday mornings. And it's a beautiful architecture, but I never see them outside doing anything. I never see them actually serving with their time and effort in a tangible way. What am I to think of that? Well, what you think of it is, I guess what they do is kind of neat on Sunday morning, but it doesn't really apply to real life. I don't think we're that church. But I see opportunities for this church to be able to do more of the things that we're already doing in amazing ways. We have an amazing opportunity. We sit in an area, this is prime real estate. We can do amazing things with this building and we can branch out to people in our community and use this as sort of like, if you want to think of it as like a home base, you know? A place where we come to on Sunday mornings to be re-energized, to refocus, and then we go back out and we start living into our communities and we take care of people who need to be taken care of. So that's the second thing. Churches that are improperly focused, that aren't on the move, I think aren't in their communities generally. And then the third thing is this. A church that is not on the move is generally a church that's focused on what it doesn't have instead of focusing on what it does have. Perhaps you've seen this in churches before. Maybe this one, I don't know. But I know churches I've been to in the past, this is the way it looked like. How in the world are we ever going to get anybody to come here? We don't have enough. We don't have this. We don't have that. We don't have money. Uh, We have very few people. You know, churches that really take off are churches that tap into the resources they do have and then maximize that. You know what we have in this church? More than any other church I've ever been to. You know what we have in this church? Skilled labor. We have people that can make a difference in people's lives by going and fixing houses, by going and working on cars for people who perhaps can't afford to have repairs done. We have people in this church who are so skilled in so many other ways, too. We have nurses. We have doctors. My goodness, you think there's not ministry in that? We have teachers. There's ministry in that. We have people who can fix anything at any point, at any time. There's ministry in that. And I want to encourage you today. If you think that you're not skilled for ministry, take a look at what your natural talents are and then ask yourself, am I using these skills? And sometimes people tend to think, am I using the skills in the church? And that's the problem. That's what I want us to get away from. The skills that you have don't have to be used in the four walls of the church. If the skills that you have can be used outside the church, then use those outside the church. Because that's the way God moves. God doesn't sit inside court in United Methodist Church. God doesn't sit inside a tabernacle or a temple and just say, this is where I live. If people want to experience me, they've got to come in here. Reality is we live in a world where people don't have any sense that they have to be in church on Sunday morning. And so we have to take church to them. We have to take God to them. 
And sometimes they're not willing to hear the message of the gospel. So the best way we take God to them is to do for them. And to help them see, first of all, this is what it means to live as a Christian. We take care of not just our own, but also everybody who surrounds us, not because we have to, but because that's what we are as Christians. So where are you this morning? What's your talent? What's the one thing that you can do, not just in here, but out there? And I really want you to think about that this week. If you're not engaged in some sort of ministry, and I want to remind everybody, everybody who goes to church, everybody who knows Christ is a minister. I'm a pastor, but we're all ministers. And we all have opportunities to share the gospel in whatever way God has gifted us to share the gospel. Are you using that gift? Are you on the move with God, looking for opportunities to share the gospel with the community around you, the world around you? Are you keeping God locked up in our tabernacle? You know, I see opportunity in this church and in this community everywhere. And so I want to run through a few what-ifs. And I want you to vision with me for just a second. I feel like I come up here and every, you know, few months or so I give a a sermon on what my vision is for the church. But I want you to open your minds for a few minutes and I want you to vision with me. And I want you to think about what you want this church to look like in 10 years. And so here are a few what-ifs. And let's see if any of these take. What if... Christians cared so much about their neighbors and so much about people in the church that they were willing to sell some of their possessions in order to make sure that needs were met in the community. What if they did that? It's a tough one, isn't it? But what if we did that? What if, rather than building a multi-purpose facility... We found property in the community that we could buy, build affordable housing for people, and then find ways to make sure that people who cannot afford to live in the slums of Corridon, and we all know where that is, the people who cannot afford a life better than that are given a decent place to live. What if we made that our priority? That's a tough one, isn't it? Because that goes back to the attractional thing, doesn't it? You know, i got to be honest with you. When I think about what I want our church to look like, you know what I get really excited about? I get really excited about buying property all over 214 North Elm and then making this amazing monument where we've got a multi-purpose facility and we've got all this really cool stuff that attracts people to it. And I think that's okay as long as we're making sure that it's for the purpose of ministry. Maybe someday Corden United Methodist Church has to have property on 214 Elm because we've got a soup kitchen that we're running too. And maybe we need extra property because we've got places where people who can't afford to live in a place are actually living for free for no other reason than we care about them, we love them, and we want to take care of them. What if we did that? What if we were willing to sacrifice our time and our effort to do something like that? 
What if we opened our doors every week to people in the community, particularly the poor, so that they could come into our church, enjoy a meal with us, and then maybe watch a movie with us or do something like that? You know, I was uh, having a conversation with somebody not too long ago uh, who was, I would say, relatively down and out right now. And she told me something that has just stuck with me. She said, you know, when you're poor, you don't get leisure. When you're poor, you don't get to go out and just spend money on fun things. I don't get to rent movies. I don't get to enjoy pizza parties. If I've had a hard day at work, I don't get to go and buy food somewhere at a fast food restaurant. I have to come home and eat my ramen noodles or eat my macaroni and cheese or whatever it is. What if Corden United Methodist Church decided that we were going to give people something they can't give themselves? What if that became our highest priority? What if? And what if our greatest passion for our children, for our kids, wasn't just that they came to church on Sunday, made great friends, and went about their way, but that they had hearts that were set on fire for Christ and that they desired to serve other people in their community and truly change the lives of other people. What if we ended up with kids like that? I'd consider it time well spent. And so I'm leaving that here, and I'm just going to let it sit with you, let it bake for a little while. And I'm not pushing anything. But I am going to tell you this. I think there's tremendous opportunity at our church to be a church on the move. To be the kind of people that don't confine God to our place of worship, but rather see ways to bring healing, to bring true peace, to bring joy to the community around us. And so I want to ask you this morning, Where are you with this? Do you worship a God on the move? Are we a church on the move? And what's that going to look like? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a God on the move. Lord, it's because you're a God on the move that our church exists. It's because 200 years ago you were moving through the prairies and the plains of the United States that people came across the river into Indiana and planted houses of worship here. Father, it's because you're a God on the move that we continue to exist. And we know that as you are on the move, we too are called to be on the move with you. So, Lord, whatever our future looks like, I pray that it would be one where we are constantly seeking ways to take your gospel to other people, not just with our words, but also with the lives we lead. Help us to glorify you, Lord. Help us to bring peace and to bring healing to our community. And, Lord, help us to be the kind of people that when people look at Cord and United Methodist Church, they're able to say, That is a church 
that's on the move. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.